Hello and welcome to How to Start Up, a podcast for anyone starting a company. This is a collection of conversations with people who have all successfully started, run and even sold their own companies, sharing not only professional but personal experiences on what we should be doing now, next or never. Hosted by me, Juliet Fallowfield, founder of PR consultancy for startups Fallowfield and Mason. Today we're joined by Ray, founder of her eponymous brand, Ray Feather, a personalised luxury accessories, homeware and versatile resort wear brand. Having founded her company in 2013 following a career in luxury travel marketing, Ray's brand draws extensively on her passion for travel. However, it was the monogrammed straw basket with which the brand was propelled to notoriety on Instagram. Named in 2018 as one of Walpole's brands of tomorrow, Ray places great emphasis on sustainability and ethical production and works with many fair trade and social enterprise companies to make a positive impact around the world. Ray shares with us why you shouldn't be put off starting a second career no matter what age you might be and that really knowing a business through and through stands you in such good stead when it comes to growing. Hi Ray, thank you so much for joining How to Start Up today. It would be great if you could start with a brief introduction as to who you are and a bit about your company. Hi, Juliet, thank you so much for having me today. I am Ray Feather. I started Ray Feather eight years ago in 2013, and the aim is to evolve this brand into a lifestyle brand. And what is the brand? What did you start with? So I started the brand as just good quality shirting, cashmere and wardrobe essentials. And that evolved into an accessories category. And this accessories category kind of dominated the business for about four years. And we're slowly getting back again into apparel and ready to wear. Why did you start Ray Feather? Well, I had a pretty eclectic and very fortunate career path. I'd done a cookery course, actually, when I left school. My A-level results were so poor that my mother basically said if I didn't have a job by the end of August that she was sending me to cookery school. And I went to Leeds School of Food and Wine for a year and I had never really considered it, but it was by far the most wonderful, wonderful thing I could have done. And I always had the ability to work. My father was a hard worker. My mother was a hard worker. And the whole kind of work ethic comes very naturally. And I used to just help in the evenings at the cookery school to earn a little bit of extra money. And as a result, I became friends with the teachers in the school. And at that time, we didn't have recruitment. If somebody needed a private chef or something like that, they'd ring the school. And a job came in, which was a cooking for a rally team in Wales. And I was like, nah, I'm not doing this. Anyway, the teacher said, you've got to go and, do, you know, go and recall up about this. Anyway, long story short, it ended up being a job in Formula One. And I joined the Formula One circuit when I was about 21, started off in hospitality and then slowly got into the marketing side of things. So I worked in marketing until I was about 40. And then I had three boys, three children, and I realized that I couldn't do the circuit anymore. It was pretty full on. And I then went into luxury marketing and I marketed a hotel in Barbados called Sandy Lane. I was very fortunate. My paths crossed with really interesting people who kind of things slightly, fate played a great part in all of these things. Anyway, I did that for about 10 years. And then I'd come from a family of creatives. I had an artistic and creative streak in me that I felt that I'd never really exercised. I'd also, over the years, had learned to very naturally appreciate luxury, beauty, and I loved simplicity. I felt that I looked around me and I just felt there was a slight void in the market for the pieces that I loved that I couldn't afford to buy, but I could apply that kind of aesthetic to 
to different fabrications, that aesthetic to just lovely quality fabrics that didn't have to be £400 for a great shirt. And that was kind of the ethos behind the brand, to create beautiful things at an affordable price. At this point, I was 49 years old, and I know that age is kind of pretty irrelevant, but it's not really when I don't think it it is in as much as we are in such an aesthetic world now. And I basically had to dig really deep in order to kind of push myself out there. That has actually worked in my favor because what I'm doing now is I'm speaking to an audience of women of my age and younger and older, and we've become almost like an ageless brand as well. So, you know, I have women that buy their daughters our sweatpants and our shirts. And I then have my mother's 80 and she wears almost everything in the collection. Sometimes she said, no, you know what, I'm too old for this, but she wears it really well. So I think it's that thing of creating a brand that basically addresses so many of the things that we're now more aware of, age, aesthetic, how we feel, how we look, all of those things. And I'm really aware. I make myself aware of all those things when I'm when I'm designing and when I decide to put the camera on and put my face in front of the camera and speak to this audience. And it's that thing about you don't have to feel frumpy and invisible when you get a little older. Well, this is it. I've read so many articles about people feeling aged out of careers and that you get to a point, especially in the beauty industry, there's incredible surveys that say that only 18% of women over the age of 40 feel represented in the beauty industry through marketing campaigns and product. What did you find when you say you dug deep? How did you conquer that potential imposter syndrome about launching a fashion brand at a certain age? I guess I didn't really notice it. I was actually quite ignorant to it at the beginning. Like I say, I have children, I have boys. I wanted to be the best representation of a female to them. And that also meant that I had to push my boundaries sometimes with how I dealt with different things in their lives. And that actually keeps you quite young. What we truly believe, maybe is not the message that you can always give across. You've got to always get across to your children. You've got to see it sometimes from their eyes. And I think that kept me quite, I don't want to say young, but put it this way, Juliet, I don't feel my age. I, you know, I have to be very careful how I talk about this because I don't want to be misconstrued either. But to use that old expression, you're as young as you feel. And is there any advice for a small company and what you would advise them to do remarketing? Because I discovered you on Instagram and I'd just seen so many cool people were wearing your product. Have you learned anything the hard way in that kind of tactic? Because obviously that's quite an expensive outlay for a business to send product out. I don't think it's learning the hard way. I think it's actually it's trial and error. And there are trends that exist and you jump on the trend. And we did something that was actually, and I didn't even know I was doing it at the time, when the Ray Feather Basket launched and it happened really, really by accident. When it first went into the marketplace, Vogue were one of the first companies to call up and do a call in for this basket. We were in every magazine around the world. But on the other hand, you know, that was a basket. There were definitely opportunities that I probably missed post that because we were actually so tied up coping with what was happening within that product category. And as a result, I wouldn't have had the ability to actually have an apparel line sitting next to that at that time or ready to wear. It just would have been impossible. What I did at that time was gifting was not really out there. And I realized that I could reach out to a very fashion educated woman, somebody who was in the public eye. And what I did was I quietly approached them on Instagram and I private messaged them and said, I would like to send you a bag. If you are happy to accept, please just send me your initials because maybe their initials weren't what I thought their initials were. 
the initials that you'd like and a postal address. I didn't ask them for their personal address. I didn't ask for anything. 10 out of 10 times, they came back to me with open arms and being really lovely. And I didn't ever message twice. And those people have actually remained people that I can reach out to if I want a gift because we did it in a really, really gentle way. And that was everyone from Jenna Lyons to Kate Moss, anyone like that. It just, it worked in my favor at the time. It certainly wouldn't work today within apparel, but it did within that one product category. And again, that was blue sky world. This does not happen very often, but what happened was those people posted and then people followed and and so on. And I managed to build up a really strong following. I think from my perspective, it looked like a really genuine relationship you had with these people of influence. And that's how we discovered Ray Feather. And to this day, I'll go to a beach and I'll see your personalised beach basket. The one thing is, you know, it's a product category that we've actually, we've struggled with throughout COVID. Of course. Every obvious reason. And, you know, I haven't talked too much about it because it just, it is what it is. So we couldn't get skits, we couldn't get raw materials. And there was a real gap. I placed an order for our baskets in... March, we got our delivery in September. Whereas before, you know, those kind of things would be easy. And through COVID, we didn't get any. And actually, it was the product category, obviously, that people weren't going to need, but all guns ablaze and for next year. And what is it you like the most about being self-employed? I am unemployable. I was pretty good (laughs) in the early days in my early career. And I was very happy. I love teamwork as well. I love working with a team. And in those days, I worked as a team. So I always had someone to kind of shimmy me along. I couldn't be the last one in the car in the morning, you know, whenever we were going to the track, because what you're doing then is you're letting other people down. So within that category, I was actually very good. As we talked at the beginning of our conversation today, Juliet, I also had another job and I traveled an hour and a half to it every day. This was when I was in my mid 20s in Formula One again, and they changed the time for people to come into work. I would have had to have left London at like six in the morning. I think starting time was 7.30. And I basically said to them, look, we need to come to an agreement here. I'm telling you, you're going to fire me because I'm going to be late every morning or we can come to an agreement. And I literally put my hand up and said, look, let's just finish this now. I think it's because I'm creative as well. And I use that word creative really loosely. I don't want to make myself seem like I'm Leonardo da Vinci by any means, but I think I'm not very good at staying within the boundaries. And I think that self-employment for me was always something I needed that flexibility. And plus the fact that I really enjoy working seven days a week. I genuinely love it. Work should be something that we aim to have real positivity within. And that means that I get to be flexible in the time that I work. I normally start work really early in the morning. But if I want to go out for a walk in the afternoon for two hours, I'll do that. And if I want to work at 11 o'clock at night, I'll do that. So I think it's that ability to have real flexibility within, within life. You're clearly very comfortable with those boundaries. I found in my first year it quite hard because I get really stuck into something and suddenly it's one o'clock in the morning and then I put myself on the back foot for the day after. And I'm better if I know my working hours and I can structure an exercise and other things around it. I mean, having had 20 years of being expected to be in an office to suddenly having this freedom, is there any advice you'd give people about how to manage that freedom? I often work in bed. I could easily at the weekend, I could still be on my bed, not in my jammies but surrounded with my computer and notes and so on and actually that's whenever I'm happiest that work environment is really good for me but then of course if I don't come into the office we've got a really small team and every single person we were only four people on a daily basis every day we've got five including myself outside that and that's the team and very odd time I'll decide to work from home but 
I'd say 99% of the time I'm here every day. And I think that's important for my team because I want them to also feel part of collections. I need their advice and things is what do you think of this color? If they say, I think we should do that, it's probably already in my gut already that that's what we should do. So it's it's given the tick. And I think all of those things, it's it's just doing what works for you, I think. And is there anything you go back and not do again? Trying to do things too fast. I went in with the intention that I was going to build this big brand. And at that time, by the way, that was quite a prolific sort of mindset for so many people. is isn't that long ago, but COVID hadn't happened. You know, COVID was actually, I believe, it was so grounding for so many people. So I would say if my advice to anyone would be take it real slow. That's such good advice because I think when you're starting out, you're wearing all the hats. A lot of people said companies don't fail because the idea is not good. They fail because they don't have any cash flow. And being at peace with your numbers, I think is very reassuring. And sometimes I'm not, sometimes I'm not at peace and with them. And I think, okay, you know, it's about forecasts. You know, one day you might be down, but then you have to be really strategic as well in how you market your business at this level. Whereas before, and we're still a tiny business, but we have got real potential now to actually grow this into a bigger business. And what would your advice be about bringing new people into your team? I am one of those people that recruits instantly almost. Like Ria, who worked for me, tells the story of coming for an interview and she literally walked in and we had a 10-minute chat and I said, when can you start? And she's like, I'm here for an interview. And I said, yeah, we've just interviewed. I think you know almost instantly if that person's going to work for you. And the chances are, if you've got any doubts, the chances are they're not going to be around for too long. So I think it's that thing of really understanding. And the other thing as well, which Whitney said yesterday, don't ever employ anyone that you don't want to have dinner with. And that I think is a great, great saying. You know, it's that thing of if you don't want to sit with someone around a table and be able to engage them and feel comfort in their company for two hours, then don't employ them. Especially true as you'll be spending far more than two hours with these people. And is there any last piece of advice you'd like to offer new founders? Don't overthink things. Don't think of too big a picture. Take every single day as it comes. And actually COVID taught me that as well. I used to have these big ideas and I wasn't like I was too big for my boots, but I just felt that I could do so much in the early days. And then I realized that I couldn't. There were so many aspects of what I was doing that I didn't have enough understanding of. This is another thing about where I am, my stage of life. It's that thing of just having that confidence, having that inner confidence to be able to say, I'm going to do this. And I live a very simple life, which I'm so happy with now. My life is around lovely, simple things. I treat my business in that kind of way. I can be aggressive when it comes to my marketing and that kind of thing. But actually, it's having that peace. It's just being peaceful and just doing your day-to-day job. There are days when I'm not peaceful and there are days whenever I'm stressed, but those days are less and less. And it's just that focus and keeping that focus. And whenever you feel that the focus is becoming a little blurred, step away for a while and then come back to it. And I think it's surrounding yourself as well with good people and positive people. And there were, used to be things in the office that would happen wherein someone would say something negative and I'd get really cross. And I look back in those days And what they said was actually not negative. It was true. It was right. But I just didn't want to hear. And I think that it's just that listening and being surrounded by people you trust and whose comments and whose opinion matters. 
And those people might only be one person, but that one person is so valuable or they might be five people. And right now I've got a really good team around me. And I think that is key. And I trying to keep that team really, really, really lean because as businesses grow, there are different personalities that come in. And I think actually the other thing is I work in the middle of the countryside. Like right now I'm looking out green fields and we were really tempted to move it back into London. Um, a few years ago, because I felt that's where we needed to be. We did not need to be in London. Where we are is exactly where we should be. Where we are right now is is great for the business. And we can find ways now around going the business within that level of simplicity. Well, huge congratulations, Ray, on everything that you've achieved. And thank you for all of your incredible advice. Thank you so much for having me, Julia. If you'd like to contact Ray, you'll find all of her contact details in the show notes, along with a recap of the advice she has so kindly shared. Thank you for listening to How to Start Up. I hope these conversations offer you some confidence, encouragement and reassurance that you're on the right track. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd be so appreciative if you were to rate, review and subscribe, as it will really help other people starting a company discover it. Thank you.